As we move towards the word, I'm going to invite Gordon Scharf to come up and read for us. Uh, And before that, I just want to remind you, whether you've been here or not, we're we're doing a series this summer through Hebrews 11. Some people call it the Hall of Faith, all these heroes of the faith. Uh, Hebrews, the whole book, is a book to the church, a sermon to the church, when the church is in hard times, difficult times, when it's the church is tempted to turn away and turn back. And the message of Hebrews really is, whatever you're facing, whatever you're tempted to run back to, Jesus is better and Jesus is enough. And we come to Hebrews 11 and as we've been walking through it, we hear the invitation, remember all these people who have gone before us, who have lived by faith, often facing really challenging circumstances. And that's no exception today as we take up Joseph. So I invite you to stand, follow along as Gordon reads from Genesis and Hebrews. This morning's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 37 verses 1 through 5, chapter 50 verses 15 through 26, and Hebrews chapter 11 verses 22. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Joseph loved Israel, loved, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now from chapter 50, verses 15 through 26. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. 
Now from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come honestly this morning acknowledging that we want to live by faith, but we're often afraid and we're often confused as we look at the world. Father, we pray, as your word says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word. As we look at your word, would you increase our faith? Would you create faith in the hearts of those who don't have it? Father, would you reinforce our confidence that you are indeed king and that you're ruling the world, uh, doing um, all things for good for your people? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed it this morning as we worship the Lord together, but we certainly are not shying away from some big themes, from evil and injustice and suffering and God's sovereignty. And I don't know how you respond to that, if that feels heavy, onerous, but it feels appropriate to me as the church living in this moment in our history in the world. More than any time I can remember, perhaps except for 9-11, people are aware of evil and injustice. We've had a recent shooting in our city. As you know, there are almost daily attacks around the globe, it seems, and we all know something's wrong. What's interesting is the public conversation rarely moves beyond all the wrongs that we're seeing. If you watch the news, it, it seems like the producers are just, here is the latest awful thing that happened today. Just the facts of what's wrong. And so we hear things like, this has to stop. This has to stop. But beyond that, we don't really hear a lot about how we should respond to what we're seeing. And we certainly don't talk about the reasons behind our response. Why should we respond that way? So today, we have the privilege of God setting the life of Joseph before us. And Joseph's life is really one big illustration for us this morning. We don't need a lot of illustrations because Joseph's life is the illustration. I'm going to try to show it to you, I hope. It's encouraging. So first we're going to look at Joseph's wrongs, all the evil and injustice that he experiences, and then we'll see how Joseph responds to all those wrongs. And finally, we'll try to understand the reasons behind his responses. My hope is that Joseph's life can become a window through which we can see ourselves and our lives and our time, and see the wrongs that we're facing, consider our responses, and understand the reasons why we live the way we do. Are we living by faith? Are we responding to evil and injustice by faith? What does it mean to live by faith in the midst of evil and injustice? The Lord has given us quite an answer in the life of Joseph. And what you've heard this morning, you've already heard the beginning of Joseph's life and the end of Joseph's life. So you've heard these strange bookends and maybe you're wondering, how did we get from here where the family's just blowing up to here? It's an amazing moment of reconciliation. And, and the process there, there's a lot of suspense in the Joseph story because all these things happen. His brothers do all these things to him. And then the question is, how is Joseph going to respond? So after all that he experiences, what will Joseph do? That's the question. And that's really the question for us. After all that we've experienced, what will we do? Who will we be? So this morning, we're going to try to trace Joseph's journey of faith. 
And so we'll start in Genesis 37 if you want to have your eyes on those few verses. It's a few short verses, but it does a lot to paint a heartbreaking picture of a broken family. And sadly, everyone plays a role. Joseph's brothers play their part. Jacob, father, plays his part. And Joseph even plays a part. The story opens. Joseph is 17 years old. He's learning the family shepherding business from his 10 older brothers. And the one thing we hear about 17-year-old Joseph is that he brings a bad report about his brothers to Jacob. So we don't know what the details of the report are, but Joseph comes across like a tattletale. That doesn't help. In the very next verse, we learn that the tattletale, Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. That doesn't help either. Joseph's the baby. Now, I'm the baby in my family, so I'm going to plead the fifth. But I know there are probably some older siblings out there who could maybe testify that sometimes the baby seems like the favorite. And at least in this case, Joseph is the favorite. And Jacob makes it clear by giving him this beautiful robe. And Joseph doesn't really mind wearing it out and about. So parents, there, there is a word for us here. Favoritism can be really devastating for our children. Jacob really should have known better. If you know Jacob's story, he, his father favored Esau and it tore the family apart. And now Jacob favors Joseph. And you could say it's even worse. It's maybe harder than we think to do things differently than our parents, to turn over a new leaf in the next generation. So we can't blame Joseph for being the favorite. That's not fair. But we can blame him for flaunting it. And so his brothers, the text say, hate him. Can't even speak to him. And on top of it all, Joseph has these bold dreams. These visions of ruling over his brothers. You can imagine him waking up, going to see his brothers. He's the teenager. He's got older brothers. And guys, listen to this. I had this dream. And you guys are all going to bow down to me one day. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't go over very well. So none of this justifies what Joseph's brothers do to him. But apparently, and I just want us to see this, he does enough that ten brothers want him out of the picture. So Joseph has his share of wrongs. But I want to try to summarize all the wrongs that he experiences, which I think are not justified. It starts with hatred and jealousy, silent treatment from his brothers. And then comes this evil day in Genesis 37, later in the chapter, when they plan to kill him. And then they end up selling him into slavery to some traders who are passing by on their way to Egypt. Because why kill your brother when you could turn a prophet? It's really a gut-wrenching story. And so Joseph makes this walk to Egypt as a slave. And you can just imagine how easily his life could just become defined by all the wrongs. Think about what he's up against. What if you were in his shoes? I I know there's some young people around 17, 18 in here, but no matter what age you are, he's around 17 when his brothers sell him into slavery. His brothers, the people who should love him. He goes to Egypt where he has no family, no fellowship. He doesn't have a Bible because it hasn't been written yet. And all he has are the stories of God's promises to his great-grandfather and his grandfather, and his father. He heard these things as a child growing up, but now he's on his own. How would you do in a foreign land with no support? How easy would it be just to become the victim and quit? So if this man, if Joseph, with God's help, can learn to live by faith in these circumstances, then we would have a lot 
to learn from him. So it'd be easy just to stop. What our world would probably do is look at Joseph and look at all the stuff he's been through. Isn't it awful? And just stop there. But our life is always more than what we did or what's been done to us. It's good to ask, what went wrong? Because that's a big question. It matters. But it's a bigger question to ask, how will we respond to what went wrong? So evil and injustice become the arena where faith works itself out or not for Joseph and for us. So how does Joseph respond to all these wrongs? How will we respond to all of the wrongs that we see? Since the shooting in our own city, I've watched how different people respond. It's really fascinating. This isn't scientific, but my conclusion is that we really only have two options. When it comes to evil and injustice, we can escape or we can engage. And trying to escape is really tempting especially when the evil is so overwhelming. If you watch the news sooner or later, don't you just want to turn it off? Turn it off, escape reality. And if you're Joseph, don't you just want to escape your past? Move on. Many of us are escape artists, masters of ignoring and numbing and avoiding the pain, distracting ourselves. But as hard as we try, the evil and injustice are still there, still out there, still in here. And we can't pretend them away. So escape is really tempting, but it leaves our hearts and our world unhealed. How do you try to escape? It's a good question to consider. On the other hand, trying to engage is really challenging because evil is like a fire. If we're going to engage, the question really is, how are you going to try to put out the fire? One thing we can do is fight fire with fire. This is the road we travel when we really want to be right, when we really want to fight, when we want revenge... We demand justice but have no room for mercy. This is the road that leads to anger and bitterness. And maybe you've seen that there are a lot of people on this road right now. Nelson Mandela once said, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for your enemies to die. So there's a way that we can engage that actually kills us even while we wait for other people to die. And on the other hand, we can fight fire with faith. And this is the road we travel when we want the Lord's perspective. We want to see the world through his eyes. And this is the road that leads to humility and forgiveness and love. And wouldn't you say we need to get more people on it? So after everything that Joseph's been through, the question is, what will it be for you, Joseph? Will you escape? Will you just escape? Will you engage and just allow yourself to grow bitter over what's happened? Or will you engage and live by faith? So there are several clues in the story that help us see what Joseph's doing. First, Joseph works hard. He works hard for Potiphar. He works hard in prison. He works hard eventually for Pharaoh. Joseph doesn't quit, even when the opportunity that he has isn't what he imagined. So do you keep working hard, even when life doesn't make sense? Second, Joseph lives a holy life. In all these challenges, Joseph lives a holy life. When Potiphar's wife tries to tempt Joseph repeatedly, he tells her, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's Genesis 39.9. And his integrity earns him a trip to prison, falsely accused, thrown into prison for being holy. Do you pursue holiness even when it costs you? And third, Joseph gives God all the glory. When he interprets dreams in prison for a fellow prisoner, Joseph says, don't interpretations belong to God? And then when he has the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dream, he says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh 
a favorable answer? Do you give God the glory when self-promotion could actually really help you? So in all these ways, Joseph seems to be living by faith. But what about the past? Because sometimes it, it looks like we're engaging, but we're actually really trying to escape from the real issue. Has Joseph really dealt with all the evil he experienced from his brothers? After 13 years in Egypt, many twists and turns, Joseph becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. He's 30 years old, Genesis 41, and God forecasts seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And by God's providence, Joseph is now going to manage Egypt's food supply through the famine. So the famine hits, and eventually Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to buy food. By this point, it's been 20 years since they sold him into slavery. I don't think they know where he is. They probably don't expect him to be alive. They come before him. They don't recognize him. They actually introduce themselves to him. Imagine that moment. They say, we are 12 brothers, son, sons of one man in Canaan. One brother's not here. That's the youngest, born after Joseph. He's now the baby, so he's not there. Father's too scared to send him along. We're 12 brothers. One's not here, and one is no more. They're talking to the brother that they say is no more. Imagine being Joseph standing there, hearing your brother say, one brother is no more. And now you know, they've been lying for 20 years about what they did to me. You're the second most powerful man in Egypt. What are you going to do? So we're about to find out whether it's been 20 years of escape or anger or healing by faith. So what happens? Amazingly, in this moment, Joseph weeps. Joseph weeps. Before he reveals himself to his brothers, he's talking with them. They don't know who he is. He has to turn away and weep. That's Genesis 42 and 43. And then when he does reveal himself to them, he weeps in their presence. That's Genesis 45. When we expect wrath, why do we get tears? And how can Joseph weep over the brothers who hated him? Because he's engaged. We can see it now. He really is living by faith. He's been working through the wrongs, forgiving his brothers, even before they show up. He maybe didn't know that they were ever going to show up, but he had those dreams. And for whatever reason, he was working through it by faith. How do you respond to injustice in the, in the world? When the world expects for you to be angry, do you weep instead? When everyone's calling for revenge, can you offer grace that shocks people? Joseph's tears leave us asking, why? And that's always the biggest question. It gets to the heart of our faith. Why do you respond like that? What's the reason behind your response? So let's talk about Joseph's reasons. The first thing would be really easy to miss. Three times in Genesis 39, we hear, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Why does the Lord's presence change everything? Because if the Lord is with me, my life is no longer just about me. And if the Lord is with me, my life and my suffering are no longer just about me. Everything is now about the Lord and what he wants to do through my life, even my suffering. And so maybe the question now is not so much, God, can you get me out of this pain? But Lord, what is your purpose for this pain? Could you be doing something through this? The Lord is with Joseph, not just to help him work hard, interpret dreams, pass out food. The Lord is with Joseph to help him work through his pain, the pain in his story, 
and see God's purposes in it all. So what do you want from the Lord's presence in your life? Do you just want a little help socially, professionally? Do you realize that the Lord wants to renovate your whole life? C.S. Lewis has this amazing metaphor where he says, imagine yourself as a house. And his point is ultimately God wants to live in that house. And if God wants to live in us, that implies a complete remodel, a big fixer-upper. So the Lord's presence, the Lord being with us, means that everything needs to be dealt with. So Joseph has faith in the Lord's presence, but he also has faith in the Lord's plan. In Genesis 50, if you want to look at your text, Jacob dies, and Joseph's brothers send him a message. Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Think for a minute. Jacob and Joseph had a really sweet relationship. Jacob could have told this to Joseph. Do you really think Jacob said this? I think the brothers made it up. I think they're still scared. Now that dad's gone, Joseph is finally going to settle the score. But whatever you think, Joseph's response is what takes us to the heart of his faith. In Genesis 50, 20, look at the verse. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. How do we even understand such a statement? How can that be? I want to try to take it apart and then put it back together. You meant evil against me. Joseph doesn't sugarcoat what his brothers did to him. He acknowledges the reality of sin. He calls it what it is. It was evil. Sometimes we even have trouble doing that with each other. (laughs) What you did was evil. (laughs) But we do evil. And evil has been done to us. And we need to be honest about that. And God holds us responsible for what we do. God cares about justice. And he's aware of injustice. And he wants it to go away. You did evil against me. But God meant it for good. Joseph affirms the sovereign goodness of God. The very same things that Joseph's brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. Romans 8.28 says it this way, We know for those who love God, all things work together for good. We can't always see how God is working certain things together for good. There are people sitting in here today, families of police officers, who have a lot of big questions about that right now. How how is this thing somehow working together for good? But we need to remember, our difficult circumstances don't change God's truth. God's truth changes us in our difficult circumstances. And think about this. If God is working in the world, if he's doing anything, doesn't Joseph's statement have to be true? I'm not a football player, but we're in Texas. And I was thinking this week about how people say, quarterbacks need a clean pocket. Tony Romo needs a clean pocket so he can throw. But think about this. God never has a clean pocket. He's always working out his will in the midst of our mess. In every situation where God is working, sinners are sinning. Yet for his people, the word says that God is working all things together for good. And this really forces us to ask some hard questions like, is my definition of what's good for me the same as God's definition? Could God's good actually lead me through evil and injustice, not just around? That certainly seems to be Joseph's story. So Joseph has this courageous faith, but how do we know it's not just a crazy faith? How do we know he's not just insane? 
We have to remember that Joseph's faith was an unfinished story. Like other people in Hebrews 11, Joseph is looking forward to something greater. And we can sense this if you look at Hebrews 11:22 and the end of Genesis 50. At the end of his life, a couple things happen. It says, Joseph mentions the exodus. He remembers what, what's to come, which is a little odd. But he remembers it because God talked to Abraham about it in Genesis 15. So Joseph can remember what God told his great-grandfather. We're going to be sojourners in a foreign land. We're going to be afflicted before we finally come out. And at the end of his life, Joseph can see what my brothers meant for evil, all the horrible stuff I experienced, God meant for good to get us to Egypt. And here we are to preserve us from a famine, to save lives. Through all my pain, God is working out his promises. Could that be true in your life? Through all your pain, God is working out his purposes. Joseph knows things are going to get really tough in Egypt for God's people eventually after he dies. But he's confident that nothing will stop God from keeping his promises. So Joseph looks forward to a redemption even more amazing than what he's seen in his own life. It's almost like he's not that impressed with what's happened in his life. The great stuff is yet to come. That's kind of startling. At the end of your life, how do you want to relate to this world? Will you be losing your treasure as you go or gaining your treasure? Will you be leaving your home or going home? After this incredible career in Egypt, Joseph actually holds it all very loosely. For him, the best of Egypt, which was all his, is nothing compared to the promises of God. And so he's ready. He'll trade this whole world for the world that's yet to come, the world that God is promising. So by faith, Joseph asked to be buried, not in Egypt, which has been his home for a long time, but with God's people in his homeland. And when the exodus happens, they carry Joseph's coffin out with them. So it happens. So if Joseph was looking forward, then our eyes can't just stop on Joseph's life. It's really not about be like Joseph. We need to look forward too to see how Joseph's story fits into God's big story. Because in God's big story, he often does his most amazing work in the moments when evil seems to be winning. Isn't that an encouraging word for us today? God often does his most amazing work when evil seems to be winning. So think about this. Joseph's response to evil is a foretaste of what Jesus would do to conquer evil. How? Well, Joseph and Jesus were both rejected. And God somehow, in his plan, used their rejection to bring about redemption for the very people who rejected them. So Joseph absorbs his brother's debt to save the relationship. He didn't call them to pay for it. He absorbed it into himself, said, God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And Jesus pays our debt on the cross to save us from our sin and bring us back to God. He didn't call in the debt. He absorbed it into himself that we might be with him. So the cross is the ultimate demonstration that we meant for evil, but God meant it for good. The cross proves that Joseph's faith was not just wishful thinking. The cross is this beautiful collision of the greatest evil and the highest good. So Jesus vanquishes the greatest evil with an even greater love. When we were his enemies, Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. So maybe you heard Jack praying for our enemies this morning. It's the right thing to do. Jesus could have escaped. He could have engaged, just burned the whole world down. But Jesus saw all the wrong 
and he gave himself to make it right. If God can bring salvation from the evil of the cross, there is nothing that he cannot work together for the good of his people. We need to hear that. No disappointment, no tragedy, no terrorist attack, no family drama, no broken relationship. If God can bring salvation from the evil of the cross, there's nothing that he cannot work together for the good of his people. And make that personal for you. Whatever circumstances or evil or injustice you're facing or have faced, we can walk out of here with the good news that this broken world needs. Do you believe this? We don't just have a sovereign God and a good God. That's encouraging. We have more than that. In Jesus Christ, we actually have a suffering God. He is with us as we live in this world. It's faith in the sovereign goodness of our suffering God that braces us for any storm. Do you have this anchor as you deal with all the wrong out there and all the wrong in here? Do you want this kind of hope? Jesus invites us to come and put our hope in him. There's some amazing words in a hymn. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. That's what we're saying this morning. That though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Child of God, whatever you've done, whatever has been done to you, you can trust that God means it for good. If you don't have this hope, I would encourage you this morning not to necessarily think about how you're responding to evil and injustice, but to start with how are you responding to Jesus Christ? How will you respond to what Jesus says if he came to you and said, you meant evil against me, but I meant it for good. Look at what I did for you on the cross. Start there. How are you going to respond to Jesus? And I invite you to come and taste and see that he's good, that he's better, that there's no one like Jesus. And if we have this hope, if we know him, how should we respond to evil and injustice? If Jesus has paid the price for our own evil and injustice, that has to change how we relate to evil and injustice in the world. Because we can no longer escape. Jesus didn't escape. And we can no longer engage in a way that adds fuel to the fire. Jesus didn't just burn it down. Jesus is leading us in a different way. Church, God is calling us to engage in this world by faith, to respond to evil with a love that only the gospel can explain. In this world that can't really get past all the wrongs, we can respond with real hope and real healing because the Lord is with us and he has a plan. So as we fix our eyes on Christ, we're starting to see the world through new lenses. And, and when all we see is darkness, we're learning to watch for the dawn. It seems really dark, but the dawn is coming. Because by faith, God means it for good. Let's pray together. Father, would you increase our faith in who you are and what you've done for us in Christ? In the midst of so much evil and injustice... Just pray that you would help us to engage by faith, to live like Christ in this world that needs Christ. Would you remind us of the cross where we meant evil against you, but you meant it for our eternal good and give us confidence that you are working all things together for our good. Whatever our lot you have taught us to say, it is well, it is well with our soul. Father, as we sing, help us to long for the day when our faith shall be sight. In the name of Jesus, we pray, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.